Funding for Think comes from the SMU Certificate Program in Financial Planning. You're listening to Think on KERA 90.1. I'm Chris Boyd. Why is a broken hip such a dangerous prospect for older Americans? One out of every five people over 50 who suffers a hip fracture will die within a year after the accident. Lauren Silverman introduces the issue in the first part of the KERA breakthrough series, The Broken Hip. And so there I was, laying on the floor, pulled down one of my uh, pillows, I just pulled it down and put my head down on it and thought, well, I'll wait until morning and ask for help, which I did. Can you imagine? It's every nightmare. That's Jeanette Mariani's daughter, Janet. Your mother lays on the floor all night and doesn't push her button. (laughs) Who would have thought? My mother. And you put all those things around you, and it still can happen. You know, when I thought about it, my mother just doesn't inconvenience others. She thinks about others before she thinks of herself. A fall from a chair or a bed may not seem like a death sentence, but for an older person, it can be. Falls are the leading cause of death from an injury for older Americans. For women, it's particularly bad. Three-quarters of those with hip fractures are women, and for many, the broken hip starts a chain reaction. Usually because we have other diseases and things that have happened to us that make it much more difficult. Dr. Amy Moss is an assistant professor of geriatrics at the UNT Health Science Center in Fort Worth. She says every moment counts after a fall. When you're bedridden or hospitalized, your odds of developing everything from bed sores to pneumonia increase dramatically. Studies show that delaying surgery after a hip fracture for just 24 hours increases the chance of complications and death. The most common scenario is they die of pneumonia after a fall with a hip fracture. And even though we know that and we do our very best to implement preventative strategies, uh, many patients will succumb to that. Jeanette Mariani died in December, just two months after she fell. And that didn't really surprise her daughter, Janet. After her fall, I knew that she was going to decline. You have that sixth sense, you know? That sixth sense is backed up by real numbers. Almost one out of 10 people older than 50 will die within a month of surgery for a broken hip. That rises to one in five if the patient already has an acute medical problem. Jeanette worked hard in rehab to become stronger, but her previous lung problems got worse. Her cancer returned and she became a statistic. After she left the hospital, she died within a month. It was just a month after I first met Jeanette. She died on Christmas Day, and each of her eight children were in Dallas. I met up again with Janet, her daughter, after the funeral. We were lucky, you know. We were very lucky that we had that kind of warning and the time to get everybody in town. We just have our wonderful memories now. I think we'll always miss her forever. And that's just what you go through. No one knows how much longer Jeanette Mariani might have lived if she hadn't fallen. There's no doubt the broken hip started a cycle that cost her her independence and all too quickly her life. Lauren Silverman, KERA News. 
We've built a special digital storytelling project that includes video of Jeanette Mariani's family. You can find it online at kera.org slash thebrokenhip. Next Wednesday in Chapter 2, Lauren Silverman looks at long-distance caregiving, how a daughter in North Carolina keeps an eye on her elderly father in Dallas after he fractured a hip. And next Thursday, Lauren will host a Twitter chat along with senior care experts and doctors, hashtag thebrokenhip, from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock Central Time. And joining us now to discuss the strategies developed by doctors to give elderly patients a fighting chance at recovering from a broken hip, we have two orthopedic surgeons with us today. Dr. William Tucker is here from Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital, Dallas. Dr. Alan Jones joins us from Baylor Medical Center. Gentlemen, welcome to Think. Thank you. Thank you. Why is the hip bone so susceptible to fracture in the first place? Well, it's uh, it's not so much that it's that much susceptible, but uh, in older patients, particularly women, uh, osteoporosis or weakening of the bone occurs very frequently, and then a fall on your, typically landing on your hip, has a tendency to break it. It's also a bone that sees a lot of stress with just walking and and is susceptible to injury. It, it has to be very strong normally, and once it's weakened, it's susceptible to fracture. And um, does everyone, do most patients who come in and, and present with a hip fracture have a previous diagnosis of osteoporosis, or is that sometimes the first clue that people have that they've even got weakening of the bone? Oftentimes, that's the first indication. So they'll come in and actually fall and end up, they're, they're standing, minding their own business, and the hip breaks and they'll fall. Hmm. It doesn't even require an actual injury as such. Is it always obvious that the the hip is broken, or are there people who go undiagnosed for a while? Most of the time, it's no question that it's broken. And almost every single patient said, "I tried to get back up, and I couldn't. I couldn't bear weight, or couldn't even stand." There's a few people who will develop a small crack and have pain, and delay, the diagnosis will be delayed sometimes for days or even longer. But almost every single time, it becomes apparent. And we heard in Lauren's piece that um, it sounds like surgery is indicated within 24 hours after the break. Um, is that Are there exceptions for certain patients? Only if the patient has an acute medical condition that you can do something to improve rapidly. Mm-hmm. If, they're, if they need dialysis, if they've got heart failure that they can improve upon quickly from a medical standpoint, then you'll do that. But you still want to do the surgery as soon as possible. Yeah, I would agree. Typically, patients, you know are in about as good a health as they can obtain when they have their break, and anything, any delay typically worsens that. So if, if people want to picture the ball and socket uh, joint of the hip, can you explain the part that, that typically suffers the break? There are two areas that have the break. If, if you imagine the hip as an ice cream cone, the, the most common break is when the ice cream falls off the cone. That's mm-hmm. in the area that's called the femoral neck. And the other type of break is just below that in what's called the trochanteric region. It's where the hip kind of turns at a Y angle, and you treat those different types of breaks with with different surgical procedures. And so you um, look at patients and you look at the type of break they have and then decide whether you will, um, I suppose there are screws sometimes and and different devices that you would use to to repair that? Really, there's three types of repair of surgery. And almost every single patient requires surgery. Mm -hmm. So if you have a break of the femoral neck that's completely displaced in in an older patient, um, it's almost always treated with with hip replacement, either a partial hip replacement or in some cases a total hip replacement. 
occasionally when you have a fracture of the neck where it's just a crack and not really displaced or unstable, you can use screws to repair it. That's becoming less and less common. And then when you break it in the trochanteric area, as Dr. Tucker pointed out, that's one that's usually amenable to repair with uh, either a plates and screws or a rod that goes down inside of the bone. So almost all of those types of fractures are repaired rather than replaced. How often do patient, patients have hip replacements before they've had a break for some other reason? Quite often. Actually, about twice as often uh, hip replacements done for osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis affecting the hip. Mm-hmm. And so obviously, once that's done, you're essentially safe from a hip fracture. Is that correct? You're largely protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, the areas where the most common breaks are are protected by the total hip replacement. It's possible to break above or below that. Right. Although one of the interesting things about the newer types of hip replacement that just resurfaced the ball mm-hmm. and the socket, it allows you to still have a hip fracture. So it's a, one of the downsides of that. What is osteoporosis exactly, and, and why are women more susceptible to it than men? Osteoporosis is weakening of the bones, and it develops over time. Women are more susceptible because as they go through menopause, their body quits making bone as much as it did before. Mm-hmm. Men don't have a menopausal episode as such, so they, men tend to maintain their bone mass better. And are there medications that can halt or reverse the pro, uh, the progress of osteoporosis? There are. There, for women, you know, replacing estrogen, which is the main component that uh, is responsible for loss of bone after menopause, if you replace estrogen, it does decrease your amount of bone loss and decrease your chance of having a hip fracture. It has some other things that are not necessarily good for you, though. Um, in both men and women, there are things to do to uh, help slow down the loss of bone, including exercise and vitamin D and calcium replacement or supplements if, if your diet's deficient. And then finally, there are some medications that can improve bone density, usually by um, either promoting bone formation or more commonly stopping bone uh, resorption by your body. There's cells that make bone, there's cells that remove bone, and you can turn off those bone-removing cells in a number of different ways. And most of the osteoporosis medications are aimed at that. How is it that exercise builds up bone? Your body's bone basically responds to stress by making itself stronger. Uh, you see kind of the corollary of this in astronauts. When they go into space, mm-hmm. they're in a, an environment where they don't need their bone strength anymore. And so the body says, I don't need that. It takes it away. But the more you use it, the body responds to that stress by laying down more bone. And it needs to be weight-bearing exercise to, to have a benefit in this case? Yes, it does. We're speaking this hour with Drs. William Tucker and Alan Jones, both orthopedic surgeons. Uh, Dr. Jones joins us from Baylor Medical Center, Dr. Tucker from Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital in Dallas. They are here as part of the KERA Breakthrough Series, The Broken Hip. We'll resume our conversation in a few minutes. We know many of you may have questions for yourself or a family member about hip fracture. We would love to be able to get those answered. And you can join us on the phone at 1-800-933-5372. You can send me an email at Chris Boyd um, Think. 
Uh, no, you can send me a tweet at Chris Boyd Think, or you can email the show at think at kera.org. Jeff Whittington joins us now, and uh, we are, of course, still in our spring fundraising campaign, the very last day. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Chris. Uh, it is the last day of the membership campaign. We're really excited to to be wrapping it up, and we're thrilled to have heard from so many of you, including Kenneth Voice and Dennis uh, Minot in Fort Worth and David Schreiber and Allen. We also heard from Wendy and Charles Johnson in Weatherford. Chris, we've heard from people all over North Texas, and it's really been great. But you know what? We haven't heard from you. And you're listening, and you've thought, oh, I'm, I'm almost made it. I've almost made it. I'm going to skate by because it's the last Someone day. Someone else will take care of it. It's the last day. There's only, you know, five and a half more hours. I've just got to get through this. I gotta, if I get through this, I won't have to feel bad about not supporting the station again until the fall. Well, you know, we're not going to let you get away with that too easily because we're offering, as we were describing it earlier, sort of the— uh, the grand prize public radio listener package drawing today that uh, you you probably really want to get in on this. You can do it at 888-694-6931 or KERA.org. And you have the potential to win, by the end of the day, a $1,000 Apple Store gift card and two tickets to see Neil deGrasse Tyson um, at the Winsborough Opera House May 19th in the orchestra section. We are not going to give you any nosebleed seats for this. These are great seats. Um, we ha- will have one lucky winner. We would love for it to be you. So please make your contribution at two uh, at one eight 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 six. That two, I was saying, is we have $235,351 left to raise. And uh, you can uh, rest assured that when you get the, if you're the winner and you get these uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson tickets, uh, as he says, uh, and by the way, we've been looking at pictures of Neil deGrasse Tyson in his wrestling days, uh, by the way. He's a big guy to wrestle. He is. He was, uh, I think he was a 190-pound wrestler. Uh, and he's about six two. So, but now he's doing science. So, and you know, although there is a They're picture, not mutually exclusive. There is a picture of Bill Nye uh, trying to put him in a hold. I think uh, <laughs> that, I, that I found online. That's and, not going to happen at the Windspear. <laughs> anyhow, yeah. But uh, as Neil deGrasse Tyson says, you know, it, everyone should. Uh, and this is a quote from our producer Jackie Boyer. who says Neil deGrasse Tyson has been known to say everyone should have their mind blown once a day, and your mind will be blown at the Windspear. If you're the lucky winner, uh, thanks to Trisha Pena in Dallas, thanks to Stephanie Seaman in Denton, and Manuel Cortinas in Garland. All these folks are automatically entered to win this prize package. Chris. That's right, and automatically know that they get another year of fantastic radio on this station. That they are supporting quality journalism, quality news and information. You can join them and become part of the formula that makes public radio possible at one eight 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 six nine four six nine three one or kera dot org, where you can also check out awesome thank you gifts. Yeah, there's the uh, the quintessential Think mug, the black ceramic mug Love with the mug. Think logo. It's really handy in meetings. You want to hold it up so people remember that they should think. Check it out online at KERA.org or call 888-694-6931. Thanks. Funding for Think comes from the SMU Certificate Program in Financial Planning with classroom instruction, a CFP board-registered curriculum, and flexible class schedules. Applications accepted now for the program, which begins March 31st. SMU.edu slash CPFP. 
You're listening to Think on KERA 90.1. I'm Chris Boyd. We're speaking this hour with orthopedic surgeons Dr. Alan Jones of Baylor Medical Center and Dr. William Tucker of Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital, Dallas. They join us as part of The Broken Hip, a KERA breakthrough series. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can call in to 1-800-933-5372 or email think at kera.org. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the recovery process post-surgery. How soon after surgery do you encourage patients to try to move a little bit, to even get up if it's possible, and, and, and how, what does that recovery period look like? Typically, we get patients up the same day. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can do to help with that. Uh, put numbing medicine in the hip, and they'll be getting some pain medicine in their IV or as a pill. But most people are walking at least across their room the same day of surgery. And typically, the hospitalization after a hip fracture is about three, uh, sorry, four or five days total. So about four days after the surgery or five days. Uh, and first couple of days is pretty tough. So you know, they, we get them up walking, but they don't walk very far. And mm-hmm. sometimes the very first day, it's you know just to stand up and sit on the side of the bed. And, and why is that early movement so important? It helps prevent many of the issues that we heard about in the lead-in story, the pneumonias, the bed sores. Uh, your body's not made to lie flat on your back, is mm-hmm. what I always tell patients. Your body was made to move, and getting up does wonders to increase your circulation, to take pressure off of, of the back, the sacral area, where people oftentimes will end up with bed sores. helps your lung function. How much do you have to help patients, or do the people you work with have to help patients with um, psychological issues? Maybe suddenly they're afraid to move around, or they worry that something like this could happen again, and, and what do you do with that? Well, quite a bit, actually, because, well, two things. One is patients have, you know, all suffered a very traumatic event already, and yeah. now they're afraid they're going to fall again. Uh, many of them have a very pervasive fear of falling before the, they actually did fall. Uh, so they're afraid they're going to fall again. And I think the um, it takes quite a bit. And, then, of course, the... That the, the, uh, the, both the injury and the surgery and the trauma, traumatic event around it takes a lot of people with a little bit of cognitive impairment and may result in some confusion. And so mm-hmm. it's a, uh, you know, or, or just really not the, the same ability to process uh, thoughts. And, and so that takes some specific work, not on the caregivers, but not just the caregivers, but the family and everybody else to kind of help keep them on track and oriented and, and focus on getting up and getting better. For patients who do survive past that one-year mark that we heard about, how's the prognosis? It varies a lot from one patient to the next. The The biggest predictor is the patient's level of activity before they had the hip fracture. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll have people and a woman recently who fell, broke her hip, and I mean, had a, was able to do a hip replacement with a, what's called an anterior approach. She went home the next day. Wow. And was traveling within two months. And you'll have people that are impaired forever. So mm-hmm. being active mm-hmm. going into it is is a truly massive thing that that there's nothing we can do once we get the patient in the hospital. One of the things that patients uh, with good reason fear is loss of independence. And so for the sure. people who are just barely making it, living alone at home, um, taking care of pets and things like that, once they've had a hip fracture, many of them qu- can't quite get back to that same level of of independence, and that's uh, very distressing to them. And I, and and they're in many cases, some of them are reluctant to participate in 
some of their rehab type activity. They don't want to go to a rehab facility. They want to want to go home when it's clear to everybody but them that there's just no way they can make it at home right the, just at early on. Obviously, your goal for anyone who was walking unassisted before the accident would be to do that again. But how frequently are patients after a hip fracture um, reliant on canes or walkers or other devices to sort of keep them steady? Much more frequently. Mm -hmm. Uh, A good rule of thumb is if if they were walking independently, so no cane, no walker, no assistive devices whatsoever, uh, often they'll feel more stable. Sure. And a lot of it's psychological, but they feel much more stable to have usually a cane. Mm-hmm. If they used a cane, a lot of times they'll feel more stable kind of taking that next step and using the walker. And some of it's a safety issue. For a number of months after any kind of hip surgery, your hip muscles are still a little weak and your balance is affected too. And so many times patients will use that a cane or a crutch, I'm sorry, or a walker, not because they can't walk without it, just because they feel a little bit less secure. And again, they have that fear of falling and breaking your hip again or the other hip. What about long-term pain? Because it would seem that if you want your patients up and walking, you want to give them as little pain uh, when they're doing that as possible. That's true. And that's that's a big part of the whole process is, is the anesthetic. We, we begin medications for pain before the surgery. The numbing medicine that we put in the hip afterwards helps a lot with pain. It also helps minimize the amount of the, we'd say, systemic narcotics, so morphine, other drugs that tend to help with pain, but they also tend to make the patients a little bit more drowsy, mm-hmm. uh, can sometimes make them nauseated. And but, confused. And confused, exactly. So the more you can do to help with pain and, and minimize side effects, the better. 1-800-933-5372 is our telephone number. You can also email think at org. We have a question here from Nicole in Dallas who wants to know, do men with osteoporosis have the same rate of hip fracture complication and death that women do? No, actually, uh, I guess men are the more fragile of the sexes. Men have a higher mortality rate. Now, we have a much lower incidence of osteoporosis, but for the same amount of bone mass, men have you know e- equal numbers of fractures. We just don't have as much osteoporosis. Once you've had a hip fracture as a male, you're much more likely to uh, succumb to complications and, and die within the first year, in some series as high as 40%. What's the reason for that? Hard to know. I, yeah. I personal, my personal opinion is that men who have hip fractures tend to very, be a, a very ill population to start with, and mm-hmm. many of them will have cardiac problems and other issues. That where they're, they're the real example of people just barely living with their life in balance medically, and then hip fracture just tips them over the edge, and everything else gets out of, out of balance and out of control, and they can't really recover from it. is our number. Let's go on the phone now to Alex in Dallas. Hello, Alex. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you. Um, The question that I had relates to a couple of things. I, um, two years ago, had a complete hip replacement, um, and I've been told I'm going to need another one before long. The challenge for me, um, and I've been trying to understand it better, is that ever since I had the first hip replacement, and I'm uh, 59 years old, um, and I was extremely active, um, is that my gait has been off, and it puts extra stress on the leg that wasn't operated on. So I'm curious to know, it, it, it feels like my pelvis is, is out of whack, and I'm curious to know if you see that ever or if I'm just imagining it. 
and I'm also curious to know, I know that we've been doing, um, I know vets have been doing a lot of adipose tissue stem cell replacement on dogs and horses with um, hip and joint problems, and I'm, I'm curious to know what your understanding of that is. Thanks for your call. In general, uh, if you have arthritis in one joint, it is certainly possible to have it in one one other joint or even multiple areas. And, and one thing to question in a situation like that is does the patient have, say, a systemic form of arthritis like rheumatoid arthritis or one of the spondyloarthropathies, which can affect the spine and other areas? Uh, with request, or respect to the stem cell research, there there's a lot of research. Uh, there's nothing at this point that has the the amount of data and support to it that, that I would recommend it, and I don't think Dr. Right. Jones can speak to, to that as well, but I, I wouldn't have it done myself. No. The, the thing is the cartilage cells that make up the surface of your joint, whether it's your knee or your hip, are very, very specialized cells that have a lot of unique functions. And even though you can, in theory, grow them in a culture and transplant them, they, you know, that sort of technology is there. It's not exactly the same, and they tend to wear out stuff. So it, there's lots of work going on, and there may be a day where you can, instead of having hip replacement with metal and plastic or metal and metal, is get it replaced with natural cells that you know work like your body's own, but still not quite there yet that I know of. 1-800-933-5372 is our number. Let's go next to Kim in Denton. Hi, Kim. Hi. I have a, um, a question. I'm a Latina. I'm 75, and whenever I go to the doctor and they ask me if I've had a bone, ten- bone density, I tell them, no, I'm a Latina. And, in fact, the women in my family live into their 90s, and I don't know of a one who's had a broken hip. Is there any research that's been done on different ethnic populations that can answer this? Well, there is. Uh, now, the the unfortunate news for you is that Latinas are not immune to osteoporosis. Now, not having a family history is a very positive thing. And so family history of osteoporosis is a big risk factor for both osteoporosis and, and uh, hip fracture. However, to, uh, you absolutely do need a bone density examination um, because you very well may have osteopenia or osteoporosis, and it needs to be treated. If you do. When, do. when do you recommend that people start bone density tests, and how often do they have to happen? Typically at about age 50, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of that depends on family history. If you, if you come from, in general, fairer-skinned people have a higher risk of osteoporosis. So if you're northern European descent, female, I would absolutely do it by 50, even maybe sooner if you've had multiple fractures in your family. And depending on what that initial result is, you, you may never need another one done, or you may want one done just in five or 10 years. As a, because the first one was a baseline, essentially. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the other thing I would mention is if you've ever had a stress fracture, or if you've had um, um, any sort of hormonal difficulties or uh, irregular menstrual periods as a, as a female, or went through menopause at a relatively early age, all risk factors for having bone problems, and so I would, uh, you might want to think about getting it at an earlier age, but certainly by 50, and that's men and women. Mm-hmm. 
1-800-933-5372 is a telephone number if you have a question about hip fractures. We're speaking this hour with Dr. William Tucker, an orthopedic surgeon at Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital, Dallas, and Dr. Alan Jones, an orthopedic surgeon at Baylor Medical Center. We'll answer more of your questions after we take this quick break. Uh, in the meantime, we would love to hear from you at one 694 6931 or at kera.org. That's where you can make your contribution of financial support to your public radio station, the station that works hard to bring you important information about many different topics and uh, really substantive coverage. This Broken Hip Breakthrough series that we're doing is uh, is, is meant to be um, a really in-depth amount of coverage into this um, issue that affects so many families. If it's not you yourself, chances are someone that you care about will um, deal with a hip fracture at some point in their lives. And um, we are glad to be able to bring this coverage to you. Um, it comes from the support of listeners. Hi, Jeff Whittington. Hey, Chris. Yeah. And this is uh, today, you know, marks the, the launch of this. Uh, it's a two month long, uh, really in-depth series. It's, it's led by our uh, reporter and blogger, Lauren Silverman, uh, who covers health and science uh, and, t- and technology for the station, and also our digital uh, producer, um, Eric Austin, our digital editor, Eric Austin. Uh, you can check out the uh, really robust uh, digital storytelling project uh, online at kera.org slash thebrokenhip. And then next week, there'll be another story. There's going to be a Twitter chat next week. Uh, we're putting all this together because we started looking at the stats, and they were pretty startling. I mean, depending on where you get the numbers, uh, we're going with one in five. One in five uh, people over 50 uh, who break a hip will die within the next year. That's the stat that we're going with. Sometimes it's higher, sometimes it's lower, depending on uh, ethnicity, depending on your circumstances, depending on your health. Uh, but it's a huge, this is a huge issue, and it's it's billions of dollars in the country, across the country, I mean, a year, on this one sort of key, crucial issue. So we're really thrilled to have Dr. Jones and Dr. Tucker here today uh, to talk about this, to kind of kick off the uh, these conversations on Think around the broken hip. 1-888-694-6931 is the telephone number to make a gift of financial support. Um, we have very friendly volunteers in our studios to take your call now. You can also make a contribution at kera.org. Either way, you will be entered into the grand prize drawing that we have for later today for a $1,000 Apple Store gift card and two tickets to see Neil deGrasse Tyson at the Windspear in just a couple of weeks. Um, I'll tell you, Arturo and Connie Montoya in Fort Worth are in that drawing. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for your contribution. Andrea Corley in Denton is there. Jamila de um, excuse me, there's it's a little cut off there. Jamila, thank you very much for your contribution from Louisville. Thank you, Charlie Landman in Carrollton, Danielle Kleiser in Haltom City, Rachel Hart in Plano. So great to hear from all these folks. Ray and Barbara McVeigh in Arlington, April Silver in McKinney, Ray uh, and Thank you again, Ray and Barbara McVeigh in Arlington. <laughs> I want to thank uh, Harish uh, Kasaganti and Richardson and Bonita Dula in Dallas, Sue Sherrod and Jude Hammett in Dallas. They've all joined. They've called 888-694-6931. They've gone online to kera.org, made a contribution there. It's very easy for you to do. It is the last day of the membership campaign, and uh, you know whatever you give today uh, will help ensure that this kind of coverage, these kinds of conversations are here for you tomorrow for everybody in North Texas. Think about when you first started listening to public radio and maybe you were a student, maybe you uh, were on a really tight budget and you thought someday, 
someday I'm going to be able to contribute. Well, maybe today's that day. Uh, and maybe by making your contribution today, you're ensuring that another young person uh, will discover public radio, will discover this kind of in-depth journalism, and, and maybe they'll say, someday when I'm not a student anymore, when my loans are paid off, I mean, you know, you can have all the things, that, <laughs> all the list of things that you've got to accomplish, but, you know, today— you can probably afford to give something to KERA. And I'll tell you what, if you do a sustaining membership, um, you will sign up and you will put, you know, 5 or 10 or 20 or even $50 a month on a sustaining membership, and, and most of you won't even notice. You'll think, oh, why, that's so easy. Why didn't I do it a long time ago? Because um, it's very easy. Uh, it really doesn't have a big impact on your bank. Lots of people pay higher banking fees per month than that. And uh I would say KERA probably contributes more joy to your life, maybe, than uh, trips to the bank. I don't know. Well, maybe. I mean, it depends on it depends on your circumstances. Depends on who you are. Yeah. <laughs> some, yeah, some folks probably love <laughs> going to the bank. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and those are the ones we need to hear from now. That's right. 888-694-6931. Yes, we have a special levels, uh, <laughs> membership levels for uh, for. For those folks, and you know, if you can give at a higher level, that's great because you're actually yeah. helping to, uh, you know, make a leadership contribution to the station. If, you know, it all depends on what you get out of this and how much responsibility you want to take. The drive ends today. The drive ends in, in just a few hours. We have the grand drawing that you're automatically entered to when you make your contribution. You can read the rules online at kera.org, but uh, you make your contribution at kera.org, you're automatically entered to win this grand drawing, a thousand dollar Apple Store gift card, uh, tickets to see Neil deGrasse Tyson. Hey, maybe you've got a friend who loves Neil deGrasse Tyson, would love to see the show, but maybe they don't listen. Hey, tell them to tune in. Tell them to make a contribution to KERA, and they might win the tickets. Could be a wonderful thing. You can get your uh, membership going at 888-694-6931 or KERA.org. We really appreciate those of you who are taking action in support of this station, and we hope if you haven't done so yet that you will take action now. 888-694-6931. Thanks. Funding for Think comes from the SMU Certificate Program in Financial Planning with classroom instruction, a CFP board-registered curriculum, and flexible class schedules. Applications accepted now for the program, which begins March 31st. smu.edu slash cpfp. You're listening to Think on KERA 90.1. I'm Chris Boyd. As part of KERA's breakthrough series, The Broken Hip, we're speaking this hour with two orthopedic surgeons, Dr. Alan Jones of Baylor Medical Center and Dr. William Tucker of Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital, Dallas. You can join the conversation at 1-800-933-5372, or you can email think at kera.org. Let's go next on the phone to Steve in Mesquite. Hello, Steve. Uh, hello. Um when elderly people break bones, uh, you know, it's often quite a wall, if ever, that they fully heal. But yet, for some reason, they are never offered growth hormone or any sort of anabolic drugs to, uh, to give them an edge. Would that make a difference? Not really. So, like I said, there's tons of research going on. But as of today, as long as you have normal bone healing, and people with osteoporosis, heal the same way that we do or people without it do the the but their bones are just weaker so but there's lots of research going on and but there's not really anything that i know of that you can do to make things go faster now one thing that does affect fracture healing quite a bit is is use of tobacco or mm -hmm. smoking or really any kind of nicotine so 
for the patients, if they're going to do one thing to speed things up, if they use tobacco, stopping is a big deal. How does tobacco or, or nicotine interfere with bone healing? It constricts the blood flow. The vessels respond to that by, by tightening down. So if there's less blood flow, there's less oxygen, there's less nutrition to the fracture site. And that's the most important thing your body can do is bring that nutrition to the area. So a lifetime of smoking is also a risk factor, I guess. for Oh, absolutely. As is alcohol use. And alcohol, is, is it a similar mechanism? It's, it's a different mechanism. It's two things. One, if you drink enough alcohol, you're much more likely to fall. Yeah. Uh, but alcohol also does have some detrimental effects to uh, to bone health. And it's not entirely clear to me how it directly affects bone health. But we do know that people who drink more than three drinks a day have more likelihood to have osteoporosis and much more likely to have a hip fracture. 1-800-933-5372 is our telephone number. We have, um, looks like Marv on the line in Fort Worth. Hi, Marv. Hello. Hello, doctors. Hello. Yes, sir. Uh, my 92-year aunt just recently had a hip replacement, bone fracture. Before she had the replacement, she was very, very active, walking, yard work, driving, and her spirit and psychological aspect was real well. Now she's had it. She's been out of rehab. She's home. Her psychological aspect is not well. How do you deal with this? She's afraid she's going to fall again. She's just, I'm not feeling well like I should be. I need vitamins or something. How, you guys are addressing the physiology of it. How do you deal with the psycho, psychological aspect of this? Thanks for your call. Senior, senior citizen. Yeah. And that's something we were talking about in the break, too. A lot of it is there, there's a very real psychological fear of having another episode like that. Uh, so using the appropriate assistive devices, usually a walker at first and typically progressing to a cane in many cases, uh, gives the patient a lot, lot more security when they're walking, uh, making the area where they, where they live and where they're maneuvering uh, friendly from that environment too. So taking away steps, uh, little things, just moving away cords, little things that are going to make them more prone to fall, helps build their confidence and does help minimize the risk of another fall. A lot of it is is a cheerleading effect from the mm-hmm. family and other caregivers, too. I mean, just, just getting them back into their activities. Uh, we'll have some people that, that really want to stay in the hospital, and I always tell patients, you don't, you don't want to stay in a hospital longer than you need to be there. And you're, you're used to living at home. Let's try to do everything that we possibly can to get you back to your quality of life, to your running your errands or seeing your dog or seeing your kids and grandkids and neighbors. Well, the uh, and I understand her fear of falling again because she she knows firsthand what a traumatic and difficult event that was, uh, not just for her but for her family. The um, but one thing that one thing I try and share with my patients is the importance of activity and exercise to help prevent that next fracture. And it's not just strengthening your bones, but also your muscles, practicing balance uh, that helps prevent falls. And as Doctor Tucker pointed out, it's very important to look at your your home situation, you know, it's grab rails in the bathroom, it's get, taking up rugs and cords and looking at doorsteps and stuff to minimize the risk of falls and and in uh, uh, the use of assistive devices. What's a good way? Are, are there, I'm sure there are resources online that, that have suggestions for fall-proofing someone's space, but there may be things that, that don't occur to us as tripping hazards that are a hazard for someone who's got limited mobility or poor balance. 
Uh, well, two things. The, Academy, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, on their website, there's a orthoinfo.org. If you do www.orthoinfo.org forward slash fall, there's a whole um, section on fall prevention and what to do to help make decrease your chance of having a, a fall and a fracture, as well as a little bit on the, some of the medical conditions that may increase your risk of fracture. And some easy things. That, there's a lot of good data that doing exercises like Tai Chi, which focus on balance and core strengthening, can can help tremendously to prevent the first fall. And even after a traumatic event with a hip fracture, getting involved in an activity like that, that that develops the person's ability to sense where they are in space, what's called their proprioception, and strengthen the musculature to help prevent that is, is very helpful. I would imagine some of that loss of strength and balance happens so gradually that people don't notice it until there's a problem, right? Right. And balance is one of the things, like a lot of things, it's like playing tennis. If you don't practice it, you, your ability to uh, to perform it goes down. And mm-hmm. so Balance is not something we typically practice a lot as adults and older adults, but it's very important in our safety. So you, there's some uh, lots of specific things you can do to improve your balance, and it's exercise for your not just your brain but your muscles and everything together to improve your balance and decrease your risk of falls. Any any quick suggestions about balance exercises that we can do at home? Well, uh, as Doctor pointed out, some of the the Tai Chi or the modified Tai Chi, and some things. Um, um, easy to do at home, hard to hard to describe on the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on depending standing on, your on level, one leg, you know, right. and balancing, right? Uh-huh. And on and depending on your level of comfort and stability, doing it, even something like a Wii, and, and you do the Wii Fit, and they have a balance board. And again, you want to have an environment where you're not going to fall standing on top of that. But that it's amazing how difficult that is. You get up there and you watch your kids doing it, and you think, oh, that's no big deal, and you're standing up there, and all of a sudden, it's, it's a lot more work than you would think. I think it's also important to put your bone health in perspective. And so if you've already been told you have osteopenia or osteoporosis, you know, it's not time to start training for a marathon and do very high-intensity, you know, high-impact weight-bearing type exercise. You're going to be better off doing walking and tai chi and things that involve weight-bearing but lower impact. If exactly. you're uh, if you're osteo if you're normal bone health, then that's fine. And then if you're somebody who has very severe osteoporosis and some balance issues and stuff like that, you're going to want to think about just walking or or biking or or um, some of the uh, – some gyms offer some, some, some lower demand balance and strengthening exercises. Let's go back to the phones now. This time we have – looks like Lisa on the line in Southlake. Hi. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, I'm sorry to say at age 56, several years ago, I was diagnosed with uh, ready-for-hip replacement Hmm. and uh, never have been sawed upon before, and I am scared to death of the surgery. I have made an appointment for a surgery about a month and a half away, but feel that I still need to perhaps interview, research. Uh, You know, everybody thinks their surgeon was the best, and, of course, I worry about the anesthesiologist being on top of their game. Um, and I was a bit surprised with the one doctor I saw that I didn't receive any uh, exercises to perhaps be doing ahead of time to improve my success rate. And I do worry, having been a former runner, as the other caller mentioned, you know, being uh, perhaps gimpy afterwards forevermore, uh, unsteady in gait, 
And is that um, something that is corrective in the surgery itself by measuring how much bone they cut and replace? And the other question I had, too, is um, I believe he called it the anterior approach, where you come in from the groin versus the side approach. Which is better and preferred and why? A lot of questions in one, but we'll try and get an answer for you. Thanks. The the type of approach is basically where how we access the hip, and, and standard approaches uh, began kind of with a posterior approach, which goes in on the back side of the hip. You can also use hips on, approaches on the side. Both of those typically involve detaching some of the muscles from the bone with what's referred to as the anterior approach. You move the muscles out of the way, but you don't have to detach them. It's not the appropriate uh, uh, surgical approach for everybody. Uh, if you're very muscular, if you're very overweight, you're working through a small incision, and that may not be the right thing to do. If you're the appropriate person for it, though, I would say that that cuts your rehab time down significantly. And those, those patients we typically send home the next day. Now, you could almost let them go home the same day. I like, I like to watch you in the hospital overnight, but it, it's a much quicker recovery. Yeah. Now, having said that, I don't think there's been any real good data to show that a year later the anterior approach patients are any different than the ones that had any other type of approach. No, and I would absolutely agree with that. It, it's mm-hmm. a more rapid recovery, and that's why I would say which approach is utilized on a given patient depends on that patient. What you want to do is end up with the best end result. That's that's the most important thing to achieve. Now, address one of our other questions, you know, that hip replacement surgery is best uh, when done for arthritis rather than a fracture. Really, the time to do it is when is for pain relief. And so, that you know what you get the number one thing you get out of hip replacement surgery done for arthritis is pain relief. So when you're hurting bad enough to think I'm going to have a big operation with some as you pointed out significant risk from surgery and anesthesia to get to get rid of that pain, then it's time to start thinking about it. it um, now most patients with hip replacement, it's not a reasonable expectation to return to running or higher level stuff. It, it's not the same as the original equipment and. Uh, it uh, if you do that much um, loading to your hip and stuff, it'll either wear out sooner or come loose. And you're a relatively young person to be thinking about hip replacement. I just see analogy. It's like a set of tires. If you keep them inflated and you drive on good roads, take good care of them, they're going to last a lot longer. Your hip and our hip that we put in. Dr. William Tucker is an orthopedic surgeon at Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital, Dallas. Dr. Alan Jones is an orthopedic surgeon at Baylor Medical Center. Gentlemen, thank you so much both for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Um, You can learn more and find a link to our interactive digital storytelling on uh, the coverage that we're doing on uh, broken hips at KERA.org. That exact uh, link, in fact, is was right in front of me on the piece of paper, KERA.org slash The Broken Hip. And uh, that coverage comes to you as part of KERA's breakthrough series, The Broken Hip, funded by you and by your contributions to KERA.org and 1-888-694-6931. Jeff is back with us today. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Chris. Yeah, we built a special digital storytelling project around the Broken Hip series, and the first first three chapters actually are, are up right now that you can check out. We wanted to make sure that we had some uh, you know, some critical mass when we launched the project. And as you said, org slash the broken hip is the place to find it. Uh, and next Wednesday in Chapter 2, Lauren Silverman will look at long-distance caregiving, how a daughter in North Carolina keeps an eye on her elderly father in Dallas. 
uh, since his hip fracture. It's a big story, and you know this is the kind of issue that uh, every family faces. Uh, you know, a health issue, uh, and KERA. Uh, takes a deep look at these kinds of uh, stories, these kinds of subjects. Uh, we're you know, bringing you in-depth coverage from the newsroom. We're bringing you think conversations about it. We've got a, a very robust digital presence on this. It costs, uh, it costs money to do this. And the reason it costs money is because it takes time. And, you know, it takes time and it takes uh, shoe leather, as they say. It really does to go out and get these stories and find out, uh, you know, what the facts really are and then make them uh, into something we can present to you that you get something out of. And that's what you get from KERA every single day, whether it's our local news here, uh, our fantastic uh, local and regional news team, whether it's the stories we bring you from other stations around uh, the Audio Texas network uh, of public radio stations that we belong to, or whether it's the national programs that you hear right here on KERA. You know what you're going to get. You know it's worth uh, something. It has value to you. We're asking you to help pay for it today. It's really a good thing to be a benefactor of quality news and information, of non-commercial information that is brought to you without bias, really with the highest standards of quality, because we answer to you, our listeners, who support us with your dollars simply because you believe this information is important and you want it to be there for yourself and for the entire community. Join all the folks who have made contributions at KERA.org or 1-888-694-6931. You just might win a really fantastic prize. Yeah, it's the grand drawing. It's a $1,000 Apple Store gift card. It's two tickets to see Neil deGrasse Tyson at his sold-out Winspear Opera House show uh, in the orchestra area. The seats are in the orchestra area, uh, which I'm told is the the floor area at the Winspear. So you can't get tickets to that show on May 19th anywhere uh, you know, at a ticket window, uh, but we're going to give away a pair of those tonight. And you're automatically entered when you make a contribution here on the last day of the membership campaign, really in the last five hours of the drive here. I want to thank Selena Brody and Travis Green in Fairview and Marjorie Gwall in Dallas. Also, Laura Pugh in Dallas, uh, Kathy and Mark Merrick in Dallas, and uh, Elisheba and Rodney Evans in Denton. We also heard Chris from Kathleen Savage in Plano, Chad Prashaska in Plano, uh, Gebra Habtu in Plano, and Donna and Jim Lucas in Grapevine, uh, Diane Dugan in Fort Worth, uh, Roman Srinivasan in Plano, and uh, Sudiptu Bose in Plano, and Lena Pearson in North Richland Hills. It would be lovely to hear from a friend's level member right now at the $1,500 level or above. Maybe this is something that you are able to do financially and you believe it would be important. We think it's important at any level. So whether your contribution is just a few dollars a month or hundreds of dollars a month, it, they all go to work to provide the programming that you have come to value. Everybody who supports the station now Everybody, you know, there are people who have come before you that make it possible for this show that you just listened to today. They came before and said, public radio matters. I want it to be out there, and I'm going to make a contribution. 888-694-6931 is the telephone number. 888-694-6931, or click and contribute online at KERA.org. Your contribution matters, and it is tax-deductible, and it does a good thing for this radio station. So uh, we would love to hear from you at 888-694-6931 or KERA.org. Still have thank-you gift copies of Jeffrey Warrow's book, A Mad Catastrophe, from the last hour. Those are available at or above the $120 level. We have other thank-you gifts as well, $232,000 left to raise. Your contribution now will get us closer. Thanks. Thank you.